we're going to get into the third week of the four-week message series on my story. Now, we all have a story to tell. And the key thought of this message is this. The decision that we make today will determine the stories that we'll tell tomorrow. Now, five years from now, you'll be telling a story about your life that hopefully you'll be proud to tell. The sad thing is that some of you will be looking back at this season of your life and you won't be proud of the story that you're going to be telling. Because the decision that you make today determines the story that you're going to tell tomorrow. And the, re the reality is that many of us during this season of our life are going to run against major obstacles and challenges that are going to come to our life. Maybe it's a job that you hate. Maybe it's a relationship that you are completely fed up with and it's turned south and you don't know what to do. And maybe you're saying, well, you know, it's not worth it. I'm not staying in this relationship. Maybe it's a dream or a vision that you've had and you don't think it's ever going to happen. And you're wondering, you know, it's like me, God putting that on my heart that there'd be multiple buildings here. And I wonder at times I doubted it. But God always brought me into focus. And maybe now in your life, you find yourself deciding, you know, I, I don't need to stay the course. I just need to walk away. You see, and there are times in our lives where we need to let a chapter of our life stop and let the other one go. We just need to just keep going. But more times than not, the best decision that you make is to stay the course when it would be easier for you to walk away. Stay the course. Don't give up. Let me give you an example that I shared with the church here about a year ago. In 1972, I was 22 years of age. Some of you weren't even thought of then. And I went to Atlanta, Georgia to a one-day minister's conference. And they asked us to gather with some of our friends and to just share with one another what God, we felt God was leading us to do, what our calling was. So I got together with these three other young guys Two of them were already pastoring small churches. One was candidating for one. And they went around and they were really excited about pastoring. It got to me and one of the guys said, well, Ron, what about you? I said, well, I feel, I don't know right now, but I feel that at some point down in my life, God wants me to pastor a church. And one of them immediately busted out laughing and said, you, you can't be a pastor. You're not pastoral material. <laughs> I felt like laying hands on that brother, but it wasn't going to be for prayer. Have you ever heard of the fivefold ministry? And I got so mad, literally, I got so mad that they walked back into the church building and I headed to my car. I, I was going to give up. I got in the car and I got mad and I said, God, I don't need this crap. I, I just don't need this. I didn't come out of that life that I lived to put up with some idiot questioning whether I know what I'm supposed to be doing. 
I got so mad that I, I stood behind the wheel and I literally cried. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord moved in on my heart. I didn't hear a voice. I have a problem with people that hear voices. I didn't hear a voice, but he spoke to my heart. And he said, who called you? Who called you, Ron? Did they call you or did I not call you? I called you. You see, and then I realized that the call of God is without repentance. When God calls you to do something, there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be times you're going to want to quit. You want to give up. You want to run and you want to hide. You begin to find excuses to justify dropping what you're doing because it's so hard. But the call of God is without repentance. And let me say, that verse doesn't apply to preachers and missionaries and evangelists. That verse applies to every one of us. If God called you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, a nurse, I don't care what it is. He called you. He doesn't change his mind. Don't put God in that dumb kind of uh, uh, deal. God's not flaky. So I, I get very, very upset. And I really wanted to quit. And then I realized that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And at 22 years of age, it would have been easier for me to quit, but I didn't. And many of you in this season of your life, you're going to have to make that similar decisions in your life. The big question we're trying to answer is this mess, and this message is this. How do we live a story worth telling? Now you think about it. What's going to be your story five and ten years from now? What are your children going to remind you, remind you about? What are they going to tell their children and their children's children? What are they going to tell their friends about mom and dad? What's the story that's going to be told? So who is Jesus? Simply because Hebrews 13, Hebrews 12, 2 gives us the whole deal right there. That's the basis that we're talking about. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and I want you to help me out. Who is he? Of our faith. He didn't say to fix your eyes on a situation or to fix your eyes on options. But he said fix your eyes, your thought, and your mind on Jesus. And who is Jesus? The author and the finisher of my faith. The perfecter of my faith. He is the author who helps us live the story that he wants us to tell. And in this series of sermons, we're making four decisions. And we started this the first week. The first one is we decided to start. On week two, I decided to stop anything that is hindering me from living the story that God wants me to tell. And this week, number three, I decide to stay when it is easier to go. Next week, we're going to talk about I decide to go when it is easier to stay. So today we're going to talk about when it is right to actually stay rather than to walk away. And some of you today, you'll have to make that decision. You're going to have to decide. And of all of these four uh, uh, deals that we're talking about in these four weeks, these four decisions, 
This one probably will be the most important and the most difficult one for you to ever make. At least for a good portion of you. And some of you may say, I don't have those kind of decisions to make right now. But let me tell you something. Hang in there because one day you will. One day you're going to have to do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and ask yourself, what story do you want me to tell? And many of you are going to realize the right thing to do is to stay when it is a lot easier for you to walk away and leave what God has called you to do and, 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 and to be. And the greatest example of this story is found in the Old Testament. And it's the story of a lady called Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Ophah. Now stop and think for a moment. This story is found in the book of Ruth. And unfortunately, Naomi's husband had died. And tragically, besides her husband dying, her two son-in-laws also died. Now you have Naomi, and you have Ruth, and you have over all three ladies now uh, uh, widows. Without husbands. And in that society, that was a huge tragedy because these women couldn't even get a job at Dollar General. They were unemployable. And now they didn't have a man to take care of them because in that society, that was important. They were reduced to the status of beggars. Matter of fact, lower than beggars, slaves. So Naomi gets her two daughter-in-laws and she tells them, listen, you all need to go home. Go back to your country. Go back to your family. Go back to where life could be better for you. And with Naomi's encouragement, Oprah decided to go home. Ruth decided differently. She decided to stay when it would have been a lot easier for her to go. And listen to what Ruth, verse, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says. He said, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Now, when you look at verse 16, this is the part of scripture that's always funny to me. Because this is a part of scripture that many couples, when they get married, they use these words in their wedding ceremony, and yet these are two ladies talking to each other. Got nothing to do with couples. And in verses, in verse 16 says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She decided to stay. She says, you're my people, my family. I'm choosing your God, the one true God. Even when it makes sense to go, I've decided, Naomi, I've decided to stay. You see, this was costly for Ruth because she was lower than a slave. She was a beggar. How was she going to take care of herself, let alone her daughter-in-law? And the Bible tells us that she would go into the fields after the field hands had gone through a field, that she would go behind them with a bag and they would both pick up the scraps that were left over on the field in order to have something to eat. And the Bible tells us that there was this rich man who owned those fields. 
And he, and, he, and, and he realized, had heard that she was picking up leftovers. And this rich landowner heard about her and had compassion on her. His name was Boaz. And Boaz called all his field hands and he told them, leave as you pick up the crops. Just throw a little extra on the ground. Leave it there so that this lady can pick it up so she can help herself and, and help her daughter-in-law. And then he tells him, and not, don't you lay a hand on that girl. Leave her alone because a woman in that day, in that condition, was ripe to be abused physically and sexually. So the question is, why would this rich landowner show compassion to this no-name girl? This is the answer. He heard her story. He heard of a story. He heard how she stayed with Naomi when it would have been a lot easier for her to leave than, than, than anything else. Listen to his response in Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. He heard her story. Word got back to him that this girl has done the most incredible thing. What a story to be told. And all of a sudden what he done here is that he pronounces a blessing on her life. And Naomi's one of these ladies that realized, didn't even realize to the extent of the blessing that this man had pronounced over her life. But she was getting ready to do it. And through a series of events, Boaz, who was married, wind up marrying Ruth. And suddenly this girl, who had no future, now has a future. And not only that, this girl that had no husband, had no future, is only is one of two women in the Bible that has had a book written after her with her name on it. And not only that, when you follow the lineage of Jesus Christ, you find that his lineage goes back to hers. He came from her lineage. You see, because he heard her story. She had a story to tell. Totally changed her life. Why? Because she decided to stay when it would have been a lot easier to go. Now, you, you, I don't want you to miss the power of this. She didn't stay just barely hoping that God would bless her. She stayed because she believed it was the right thing to do because God was going to bless her because she did not, she did it what was right. And she knew that if I do what's right, God's going to come through for me. And at some point in our life, we're going to have to make a decision. Should I stay the course when it's easier for me to leave? And the big question is this, what does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? And there's something in your life that's not where it should be. Think about it. Where God wants you to be, to want what God wants, 
What does God want me to want? He may want you to spend more time with your family to help develop them and yourself more spiritually because neither of you are growing as fellow Christians and believers. You're lacking the spiritual growth in your family and he wants you to make up your mind to spend time with your family. For some of you, it's to stop pursuing your own dreams and surrender to something that God has for you. Or it could be to stop living for something that doesn't matter. And in light of what God wants you to want, here's the application question that we're going to make. Where does God want you to stay? That's the big question. Where does God want you to stay the course so that you can live the story that he wants you to tell? Where does God want you to stay the course would, 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 would be easier and then for you to walk away than to stay? When I came here in 19... In 1972, well, actually before that, when we, before we came here, we were in Birmingham. And Miriam and I were part of a great church. We helped start the church. We had no reason to really leave, leave Birmingham. We loved it. People loved us. We grew up with all those people. Miriam was one of five ladies that encouraged the pastor to grant permission to start like a daycare type deal, but it was K4 and K5s. There was no intention of going anything further than that. But the interest in the community grew so rapidly. Before, when we left there, we already had a school with 700. It was the second largest Christian school in the city besides Briarwood Presbyterian Church. 750 students, a brand new facility, state of the art, and 22 acres of land just for the school. With plans to build football fields, tracks, and all kind of stuff. And God, you know, God in his, in his wisdom just told me to come here. And before I came here, Pastor Bob came to my office. And we sat down and talked. And he said, man, I'm just happy for you and Miriam. He said, I'll tell you what, Ron. Why don't you go to Columbus? And in two or three years, if you feel it's time to come home, just come. I'm not going to hire somebody to take a job. Your office will be here. You come back and you come back to the church. And I came here, and in about two and a half to three years, I, I started dealing with some knuckleheads. And, and let me say this, because sometimes the thing goes both ways. I was making mistakes from my head, not from my heart. I was learning to be a pastor. And then I had people who had been uh, career church members. They wanted to rule and run everything. And I was bucking all of that. And the first thing the devil did was to pop back into my mind what Pastor Bob told me. You can come back home. So I was going to Birmingham one time and I called him. I said, hey, I, I need to meet with you. He said, come on. I got to take Run a couple of errands, you go with me. I got in the car with him. We got now you gotta remember this man is the most quiet, reserved, easygoing, even killed temp temper. He doesn't get upset. I never seen him get angry, upset, never raised his voice, just a great guy. 
we're in a car and we were driving and he says, well, Ron, how's it going? I said, oh, it's going great. He said, I'll tell you what, pastor. He said, I really think my time there is up and, and I think I need to come home. All of a sudden, the car went, boom, hit the brakes. And I say, what in the world's going on? I looked at me and he had his finger in my face. He said, you're running, ain't you? You're having problems, aren't you? Yeah. Well, you're not coming back here. Matter of fact, I don't want you here. You're staying there. That's where God put you. You forget about what I told you. I say, oh, God. What are you doing to me? But that was the best thing that he ever did for me. This incredible man planted within me the truth of something that time sometimes is better for you to stay than to go. And I realized I wasn't a quitter. With God's help, I'm a finisher. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. He is also the perfecter of my faith. And some of you need to hear that today because God is going to show you it's better for you to stay than for you to cop out and leave. And in the light of this story that God wants you to tell, where do you need to stay the course when it seems easier for you to cop out and walk away? And maybe you're in college and you think, I can't make it anymore. This is too much. I got to work a part-time job. You know, I'm, I'm struggling and, and what am I going to do? You know what you got to do? You stay the course. Even if it takes you two or three more years to get your degree, the key is that you will get a degree regardless of what it costs you. That you can get a degree because you're not a quitter, you're a finisher. And your story will be that it wasn't easy, but now I've got a degree and I would have never had that degree if I not stuck with it. Maybe, maybe you were hurt in church. Maybe one of those Delgado pastors hurt you, said something that rubbed you wrong. Maybe some head of a department hurt your feelings, your witty, witty, witty little feelings. You know, I've been in the ministry now 49 years. I'm not as old as I look. I started preaching when I was four. <laughs> I've been here 37 years. And we do to the house of God and to the kingdom of God what we don't do to anybody else. We get a little feelings hurt. We want to leave and talk bad about the church and the pastor and belittle it. Do you know what you're doing when people do that? You're belittling God. You're attacking God's children. You're attacking God's word. That's what, that's what you do when you do that. Seeing people hop from church to church to church. They have no history. And you know what your kids wind up being? Church hoppers. The very thing that you wouldn't do to your own children. If you heard that somebody was belining or messing around and talking nasty about one of your kids, you go over there and straighten them out. But you'll do it to the kingdom of God. 
Oh, he got quiet in here. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody has ever done that. I understand that. We're talking about those people out there. You see, the church is not perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. I don't go home and walk on a cloud through the house. Hear the violins. And all of a sudden, you're going to say, go throw the garbage out. And then... No, we're humans like you are. We strive. We deal with temptation. We deal with wanting to quit. We deal with all of the above just like you do. And if you found the perfect church, whatever you do, don't join it. Because when your imperfect self comes, you will screw it up. And then you got people who say, well, I ain't going back. I'm mad. That's going to be your story. Or you can say this. I got hurt in church. Pastor Ron really rubbed me wrong. He hurt my feelings. But I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. I'm going to stay and I'm going to work it out through with those that hurt me. And you know what your story is going to be? That you forgave those that hurt you and those that hurt you forgave you. Forgave you. you know what happened? And now you're close to them. And now God has put you together. And now you're part of a great church that is making a difference in the community and making a difference in the world. And my life is richer because I'm not a quitter. Some of you may be getting mad at God because he didn't stop something that happened to you that you think he should have stopped. Or you can decide that your story is that God is good, that he will never leave nor forsake you. I'm not God, so I choose to trust him regardless. Because I'm still living under his protection and under his provision. And for some of you, it will be your marriage. And before I get all up into your marriage, there are two things I want to say. First is, that if you're living in a physically abused situation, get out. If you're living in a home, in a marriage where your husband is hurting you and physically abusing you, leave that sucker. Better yet, come and tell us. We know people. We know people. That's right. I know a lot of guys that just... Recently got saved. Still got a lot of the old man in. <laughs> and, it's not, and, and nowadays you can't only say that to women. Maybe you, you get, you're a man and she's beating you up. So you, you too. We'll help you out too. So here's the first thing I want to say. That if you're living in an abusive situation, get out. Second is this. I don't want... To make anyone here today feel guilty about past chapters of your life and your story. Because we can't change the past. You don't live in the past. We're going forward. You see, over and over through the years of ministry, I've heard people say, you know, I'm not happy in my marriage. You know, I just think I'm going to get out. 
I think the best thing I do is to quit my marriage. Or, well, you know, he's not meeting my needs. But you know that guy at the gym, boy, he sure looks at me. He's fine. He tells me how pretty I am. If I drop a weight, he picks it up for me. Or, or you know, she, my wife's gotten boring. She's boring. I just can't stand her anymore. But that lady at work, boy, she thinks I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I'm going to leave and end my marriage. You see, when your marriage begins to struggle, understand that, you see, we're not perfect. We're sinful people. Those things are going to happen. You need to ask yourself, what story do I want to tell? What story are you leaving for your children? And one of the saddest things that I've dealt with in all the years of ministry, I have counseled hundreds and hundreds of adults, growing men and women that have sat in my office and wept because the problems they're having today can be traced to the decisions that mom and dad did when they were kids. And now their family and their children are reliving from generation to generation the same destruction. What story are your kids going to tell on you? Because now it has affected their lives and their marriage. Or your story may be, well, we didn't like each other. As a matter of fact, we hated each other. And we didn't believe in murder, but we started praying that the other one would die. <laughs> Some years ago, Billy Graham's wife, her in her late years, she was being interviewed about home and her relationship with Billy. And they asked her, have you and Billy ever talked about or wanted to get a divorce? She said, never. That word never crossed our lips, ever. But the word murder did. <laughs> because that's life. Sometimes that stuff does happen. Now, last August, Miriam and I celebrated. I want Miriam to stand up. Come on, stand up. Turn your beautiful self around. So last August, we celebrated 47 years of marriage. So we would go in one day. A nice warm day. Praise God, spring is coming. And we were going to Birmingham, and we that was the week we were celebrating our 47th year. And I said to her, I'm driving. I said, you know, honey, it's exciting. Boy, I can't believe we celebrated. We're celebrating 47 years of marriage. And all of a sudden, silence. And then she said, yeah, you're right. Those are 40 great years. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Then I looked at her, we both started laughing. Because there were seven, seven years there that said, God, take her out. Take her out before I do. <laughs> she was saying the same thing about me. That's right. But we realized that we had made a covenant with God. I mean, we were down to the wire. Because here was a guy who came from the hippie generation, drugs, acid, you name it, I did it. 
or rubbed it on my skin, whatever it got behind. Independent, against everything that was establishment, because that was the 60s. Married a southern girl from Tuscaloosa where God's favorite team plays football. And, and, but she was very independent, strong-minded, strong-willed, still is. And it, it is like, boom. And we were going to throw it all in the garbage until one, one day God in his infinite wisdom reminded us that it was he who put us together. That it was he who put us together. And we realized that we had made a covenant before God. So we made up our minds that we would seek counseling and seek help. We weren't overjoyed about that decision, about seeking counsel and help. But we knew by faith that that was the steps that we had to take. And we made that decision and we got help and healing came. And I'm going to tell you, now we have a good marriage. We don't have a perfect marriage because no marriage is perfect. But it has been 40 great years because we made a covenant to stay. And you see, that's the story that Lori and Jason are going to tell their children. And their children will tell their children and their friends, Grandma and Granddaddy stayed together. That's the story that God wanted us to tell. But we had to make a decision against all odds and feelings that we were going to stay in the game. You see, and some of you are going to say, well, you don't understand, Pastor Ron. He cheated on me. Pastor Ron, you understand? She cheated on me, and, and adultery is grounds for a divorce. You're right. But you know what? Adultery is also grounds for forgiveness. Forgiveness. We talk about forgiving everything. Oh, but we're so quick to want to get a lawyer and bail out. 20 years ago, maybe more, had a couple in the church. They're no longer with us. Great people. He was a great guy, great Christian. Had three children, great wife. Great supporter of God and the church. He traveled for a living and in the process he had an affair. She found out and of course she went out of her mind. She sat in my office and just swept. I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I said, and I said, really? I said, let me ask you something. In the years you've been married, has he hit you? No. Has he been a provider? Oh, yes, an excellent provider. Has he been a good husband to you? Oh, yeah. Has he been a good father? Oh, yeah, definitely. Has he really served the Lord? He says, yeah, that's the sad thing he has. And you're telling me that you're ready to throw that down the toilet and wind up later on marrying some idiot that's going to abuse you and your children and destroy your testimony and give the devil all the glory? And she just cried because she was angry, and I understood that. But with help, God changed that, and God healed that marriage. 
Before they left here, she came and she told me, Pastor Ron, thank you for being straightforward with us. God is healing our marriage. You see, we want God's word when it's convenient, but we want to take some scriptures out of context. Yes, adultery is the grounds for divorce, but so is forgiveness and healing and restoring because God can do that. And the story that you'll tell is one that will glorify God and your children will tell it and that will help your children. I see kids today just divorce. It's just like nothing. The best decision that you make might be to stay when it's far easier for you to go. And some of you have been faithful for a long time. And yet you're in the same boring job and you feel like a failure. Your marriage is also as boring and you feel like there's no hope for it. You're raising a bunch of boring kids and you feel like a failure as a parent. But what I want you to hear is what God has to say about you. That God wants you to tell the story. One that honors him that one of the, sometimes the greatest act of faith that you can ever do, of faithfulness, is to stay where you're planted. Stay there. And you may not see your Boaz right now, but in Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if you don't give up. You see, the decisions that you make today determines the story that you'll tell tomorrow. And sometimes the best decision that you can make is to stay when it's easier for you to go. You received that this morning? Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. That you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. That you're true to your word, that there's hope, that your word says as long as there's life, there's hope. As long as you're breathing, <laughs> there's hope. Some of you this morning here are wanting to quit, but you're not going to quit. In the name of Jesus, you're going to quit. And if you have felt like quitting, be it your marriage, your job, school, whatever it is, and the devil is racking you over. This morning, the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to you. That you want to make a decision this morning, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to continue trusting God. He gave me a dream. I'm not going to let it go because everything has gone haywire. And you need prayer. I want you to raise your hand right now and put it down. God bless you. Come on, raise your hand. Don't be, don't be embarrassed. Listen, this is a hospital for the wounded. This is not a museum for saints. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these that raise their hand. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you want us to have a good story to tell. One that includes you and your miracle work in power. And I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. I rebuke his attack upon people. Set them free, Father, to live that life that will end up with a great story. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and your deal is that 
you have yet to commit your life to Christ. Oh, you believe in him, you believe in the word, but you haven't committed your life to Christ. Maybe because the life you've lived hasn't been very good. Well, I didn't either. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you, you've gotten away from God and God is speaking to you this morning. And maybe this is the time. I'm not talking to you about joining the church, denominations, preachers. None of them gave you their life for you. Jesus did. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to make a new beginning. I want to surrender to the Lord. If that's your prayer, just lift your hand right where you are and put it down. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you up there. Father, I want everybody to pray. Let's pray with you. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, of all my transgressions. Come into my heart. Wash me with your precious blood. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And give me a new purpose to live by. I thank you and I praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap, clap offering. Come on.